Have you ever been online and wanted to get involved in a discussion? Maybe you comment and click post without even thinking about it. But the next morning you wake up to a barrage of responses. Things have gotten totally out of hand. Should you jump in there and start defending yourself? Or maybe you could have spent more time considering what you're going to say before you posted. Or is no response the best response? For comedian, podcast and radio host and writer Michelle Laurie, this just used to be part of her job. One night she would make a comment on TV and then afterwards deal with the fallout on social media, sometimes for weeks. Not long ago, Michelle decided to walk away from this side of being in the media and totally changed her online presence. Michelle is also a long-term devotee of Buddhism, which informs a lot of her work and life practices. So what are some of the most impactful practices from Buddhism that Michelle uses? And how can Buddhism give you a happier life? And how has Michelle mastered the art of making new friends as an adult? I'm Dr. Amantha Imber. I'm an organisational psychologist and the founder of behavioural science consultancy Inventium. And this is How I Work, a show about how to help you do your best work. Michelle now spends a lot of her time elbow deep in true crime stories and running her own production company, Smartfella. So after so many years on air with all the big broadcasters, how did Michelle approach starting Smartfella? Well, I asked other people uh, how to do that. That's that's sort of my modus operandi. I always just ask other people who seem to be doing it well or I try and, you know, at least watch other people who seem to be doing something well when I'm trying something new. And uh, I have some friends, some young women who were producers on the project who have since left there and started their own production company. Their company is called Clothes Line. And uh, yeah, I went and asked them, how do you do that? And they said, oh, well, this is how we did it. And I sort of followed their lead and it's working. And I work with them now a lot as well. We sort of uh, work together on different things because they mainly do visuals and I mainly do audio. So we work it out. And what what made you decide to take the plunge? Because that can be a really scary thing to do. Well, the thing with me is I'm sort of always waiting for somebody else to to do the hard stuff for me and and it never happens. That's just the story of my life and I end up having to do it myself. And I, for years, have thought, well, I'm obviously really good at podcasting, at making a podcast because this podcast, Australian True Crime in particular, is really successful and it's been consistently one of the most downloaded podcasts in the country since 2017 and I, I just make it myself. Like I don't have a radio network behind me or a newspaper or anything like that. And and if you look at like the top 10 podcasts, all the others are made by huge corporations, you know. And I kept, kept thinking over the years, somebody's got to offer me a job, surely. Like all these networks kept popping up and I thought, surely one of them's going to say, you should come and work for us because you're obviously really good at this. And and the reason, I, honestly, that I'm good at it is because I've worked for networks. I've worked for the biggest radio networks in the country for a long time. So I've learned from the best people. It's not that I'm an incredible prodigy. Like I'm just like really experienced and I've learned from great people. In the end, I just, I, I guess I just had that COVID moment that I think a lot of, a lot of us had where I felt like, 
why not do something extreme? Why not do something crazy? And and I think it was that in the end. I just wanted to break out last year and, and just do something. It seemed like the time. That's awesome. Now, I know that Buddhism plays a big role in your life and I, and I want to know what practical ways have you changed your life to, to focus on Buddhism? Well, everything I do, uh, hopefully the way I do everything is influenced by Buddhism and that's just about trying to take a moment before I do everything and not react out of uh, emotion and, yeah, try to take a moment to think about why I'm doing what I'm doing and not react out of anger or greed or jealousy or any of those sort of negative emotions and try to be acting always for a good reason or a sensible reason or, I mean, obviously I don't achieve that all the time, but that's that's the aim, yeah, is to be doing what I'm doing for a good reason and not just because of my ego or, um, you know, something like that. So that that's the aim. Don't start a production company because I'm uh, my ego is bruised because I haven't been hired to run <laughs> podcast one or something. So what are like some of the rituals or habits that you've taken on like as a result of studying Buddhism? I chant in moments when I need to, to f- centre myself, calm myself, meditation, um, try to meditate every day. And what does meditation look like for you? Because I know like there's so many different types and ways of doing it. Buddhist meditation is pretty straightforward. It's about sitting still and allowing thoughts to move in and out of your mind without judgment is the way we describe it. So allowing thoughts, I mean, ideally you want to try and keep your mind free from thoughts, but when they pop into your mind, when I'm sitting still and concentrating on my breathing or whatever when a thought pops into my mind when I suddenly think oh that's right I'm supposed to be speaking to a man <laughs> uh, ideally I will not have a an opinion about that and how do you do that that sounds so hard you practice and that's you know we have a cute saying it's that's why it's called a practice and not a perfect you know I have a meditation practice so it's just practice it's just it's just starting a habit. It's a habit and it's like, you know, you you can develop a habit to drink eight glasses of water a day. Well, that takes time. You have to work at a habit of, of meditating. It's hard. It, it takes practice. You get better at it. And also no one's perfect at it. I think the problem with meditation is a lot of people think, everyone else is doing it really well. Everyone else is better at it. Is that No, that's what meditation is, is failing at it constantly. That's what it is. You know, monks fail at it. If if you listen to, to monks talk about their training, that's it's all about that. It's all about getting in trouble for being bad at meditation, you know. Wow. That's, that's, I find that so encouraging. I've tried to develop a meditation habit numerous times. Like I feel... I feel I should, given I host a podcast about work and productivity, but I've just failed miserably every time. I know, um, but that's it. You weren't. You weren't <laughs> failing. You were meditating. That's what it is. I've heard that 
one of the first Buddhist teachings you put into practice was the idea of letting other people go first. Can you tell me about that, like what that means and how that looks in practice? It's a, it's a great one. It's, it's that simple. Just, just let other people go first. I mean, e- e- everywhere, in traffic, when you're walking through doors, uh, everywhere you go, when you're getting on an escalator, when you're getting in a lift, just the simple act of standing back and gesturing for other people to go in front of you is a really great exercise in humility and um, it just makes people happy. It's a great habit to get into, putting other people first. It's just a good practice, I think, and um, it kind of sets you up, sets up your intention and it, and I think it carries through in other parts of your life. And, and it's a simple... Okay, I mean, every as I say, every habit's tricky to start to remember, but it's a good one to to that you can you can implement every day, and you can get practicing really really quickly and easily. Now, one of the hats that you wear is as a columnist, and I got to say, I love the column that you write for Sunday Life when when you are in there, which is every few weeks. I I'm very well behind at the moment, but yes, are you? Well, like, please catch up because I love reading what you write. Um, I want to know where where do you get your ideas from? Well, it's uh, now that I'm not in breakfast radio, it's uh, it should be easier, but no, I'm be- behind. I just try to think about life in in its very simplest state. I try not to get too complicated about it. Try to think about the minutiae, you know. I think that's where it's sort of at its most fun and um, at its most relatable. And, um, and I think that's where it's at its most joyful is when you can really read a column and go, oh, gosh, yes, and and feel like, yeah, you, you get it, you know it, and maybe you hadn't thought of it that way or maybe you hadn't thought of it that deeply or, you know, they're my favourite things to read about. And even that emotional openness column was about I, I felt like, oh, maybe you are that person or maybe you know a person like that or maybe you're going to read it and go, oh, my God, what a freak she is or, you know, like just. But also that column was about making friends as an adult and I wanted to because a lot of adults say it's, it's impossible and there's a lot of loneliness around and I wanted to just encourage people to not think that way, to just to just be more open. I, I must say I do love the, the idea of making new friends as adults because it's something that so many people struggle with. So what are you consciously or even unconsciously doing when you're forming new friends as an adult? Saying yes. Tell me about that. Just saying yes. I just say yes. I say yes to invitations. I say yes to. I just. I'm out and about, and um, having kids, and having my kids go start their little lives, their little social lives, was such a great experience for me. And I must say that when they were first born, I was. Uh, I said to another lady, "Oh God." I'm not looking forward to them going to school and having to hang out with the other mums. And and she said to me, nah, you don't get it. Those women will save your life so often. And I, I didn't get it because from the minute they went to uh, daycare, like three-year-old kinder, 
and I met this group of mums and then my kids are now almost 12 and it's the same group of mums and they are my life. They are my everything. It is so much about just saying yes and just being open to it. And, and I, you know, you meet people who parrot those um, Seinfeld lines all the time, like I'm not looking for friends and I have no vacancies and all that. And I'm like, don't be like that. <laughs> you know, don't be like that. I mean, there's so many great people. And I meet great people who are so much younger than me every day, so much older than me every day. I have friends, you know, ranging from their early 20s to their 80s. Like, don't be like that. You're missing out on incredible people and experience and knowledge, wisdom, you know. Now, I want to talk about social media. What's your relationship with social media like these days? Oh, look, I don't participate much. I, I, I love a bit of Insta and I just sort of crept back onto Insta not long ago, but then oh, I was going to say I had a bit of drama this morning, but I think I've smoothed it over. But it's like, the thing is, you know, we all look at the same thing, but we see it differently, right? So, you know, we can, you know, I can make a joke about a post and then sure enough, some woman will go, oh, Michelle, I wish you wouldn't be mean because <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And it's like, are you joking? Like, how is that? Oh, my God. I mean, that's that's where it's really dull, so yeah, I don't I don't like social media at all, and I think um, unfortunately the, I think the problem with it is that it's really stifling for creatives, for actual creatives and performers. And what I find is that young performers, in particular, who've just grown up with it, uh, just just factor it in all the time in their creative decisions, which is really sad because they're always saying to me things like, "Oh." oh, I better not do that because then they'll say this and they'll say that and they'll accuse me of this and they'll accuse me of that. And when they say they, they mean people on social media. They mean people on Twitter. And I'm like, oh, God, can you just forget about that for one minute and just write the show? Like just can we just get through the creative process? Can we just write it? Can we just, you know, think about what it is you're trying to create without thinking about these voices coming out of your phone that may or may not happen, it's uh, it's very stifling creatively. So, yeah, I don't, I don't read it. I'm not on it. I'm just back to creating what I create. I make podcasts. I write books. And I don't ever go anywhere to find out what anyone thinks about it, basically. <laughs> I'm creating like it's 1990. Hey there, we will be back with Michelle soon where she's going to share some surprising parenting hacks and how she finds the stories to cover in her top ranking true crime podcast. But before we get to that, if you're not following me on some of the social channels, why not start? Because I post a lot of other content through them. So you can find me on LinkedIn to search Amantha Imba. And you can find me there and let me know that you found me through the podcast or you can find me on Twitter at Amantha and also on Instagram at Amantha I. I want to talk about true crime and I want to know, like, how, how do you find the stories that, that you want to explore and report on? 
they mostly come to us now. Uh, they uh, through Facebook or through uh, the website. It's mostly people, either listeners. Um, well, they're all listeners, but either people saying, uh, I'm really interested in this case, could you, I, I'd like to know more about that. So we'll normally get like a lot of listeners saying that they want to know more about a certain case or it's people saying this is my case and I, I would like to talk to you about it. This happened in my family um, or oh, this happened to me. So yeah, that's that's how they mostly come now, which is great for many reasons. Yeah. What what about in the early days where that wasn't happening? Well, then it was it was really a matter of us uh, just talking about. It was in those days Emily and I spent a lot more time together, and we just talked about things that had always fascinated us, and one thing would lead to another, and yeah, we'd just kick around ideas, or we'd read a book, or. There'd be a new book out or something like that. You know, we seem to have this backlog in our minds of of stories that we'd always been really fascinated by. Um, yeah, but I mean, that was 2017 when we started, and it's a weekly podcast. So yeah, there's a lot of. I think we're up to like 200 and episode 217 or something that I just uploaded. So yeah, wow. that was a long time ago. But so luckily, people are coming to us now. But yeah, you do get on a bit of a jag where suddenly, like at the moment we're on a bit of a cybercrime jag where sort of one thing leads to another and uh, it sparks ideas and different people pop up from it, from that. So, yeah. And how do you find information on the cases? Well, usually, uh, you know, the case comes first, the idea, and then we, we go researching. We'll read coroner's findings, we'll read sentencing remarks, we read a lot of court documents, we actually go and and get those those documents. We've got a lot of good contacts now, so we, we might talk to the investigating officer and so, oftentimes they'll still have some good documents, they might have their brief of evidence still. You'd be amazed what they keep. The uh, homicide detectives, they, they keep a lot of their documents from back in the day. So we we tend to, rather than just read media reports, we tend to actually go and, and get the, the official documentation and read that for ourselves. Um, family members send amazing things. I've had family members send me autopsy reports. What makes a, a true crime story like the right kind of story to delve into? Oh, for me personally, I'm always fascinated by systems that have failed, uh, like social systems. I'm always fascinated by a story in which, you know, the offender has slipped through uh, the net of, let's say, the mental health system or the family court system or, you know, we have in Australia a very clear, um, oh, how do I describe it? We have, we have really clear data that shows how young men in particular can move through a set of um, institutions in Australia and become increasingly disconnected from society. They can move through the 
sort of family court system. They can be the kinds of kids who are in homes that are very dangerous homes where they're subjected to violence and neglect at home, where they come to the attention of the um, Department of Human Services when they're really little. And these are the sorts of kids who may or may not be even taken out of their family home, uh, but, but are monitored very closely. And then those kids can oftentimes end up in juvenile detention. So they can go from being the kids that we're most worried about to being the kids that we're most afraid of really, really quickly. And then from that point, they can, they can end up in, um, in, in adult detention in prison. And, and there are some really clear uh, like physiological issues associated with that in terms of brain development. So, you know, those are the cases that I'm really interested in. And, and that's always been the case. If you look back at the really violent offenders from the 70s and 80s, like the Chopper Reeds and the Mr. Renter Kills and all of those those guys, those hitmen from back in the day, they all went through youth detention as well. And they all came through very similar conditions as well. So there's nothing new about that. Now, I, I, the final thing I want to talk about is is parenting because you've got twins. Yes. And I remember when my daughter was three months old and I took her to sleep school to teach us both how to sleep really uh and and there was one woman that had twins and I just remember thinking how is she actually surviving this so I I want to know like your your twins are how old they were 11 11 and a half 11 and a half yeah. so tell me what what are some of the parenting hacks that you have found most effective to managing <sighs> life with twins Oh, again, I would not nominate myself as an expert. But I think the thing with twins for me is that the poor things, they they just don't have a choice but to be good. There was just no option. They could never be spoiled. They could never, I mean, I could never even carry them around really because there was always another kid. I could never indulge them because there was another kid. Uh, They just spent their whole babyhoods hearing the word wait are there any tricks that you have found effective to just taking the pressure off yourself as a mum? Well, just taking the pressure off myself as a mum. <laughs> I mean, how? it's really that simple. Well, that's, again, that's just the Buddhist, you know, talking is just do it. I mean, the only thing that's putting pressure on you is you. The only thing that's real is your reaction to everything. That is the only thing that's really happening. There is no pressure what is the pressure such such a nice thought to finish on michelle well, no, you, because when you say that you say you said that's that sounds like you're going mm-hmm, nice thought <laughs> yeah. good for you not for me yeah um, no 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 i do mean that genuinely um my final final question michelle is for people that want to consume more of what you are putting out into the world what is the best way for people to do that well, now, there's um, there's the True Crime, Australian True Crime podcast and uh, there's, well, yes, there's that. And there's a book coming out called CSI Told You Lies, which I love because it's about the people who do, the, it's about forensic pathologists and they do the autopsies. And 
I mean, they're just the most beautiful people. And I know it sounds weird. Everyone always goes, why would you do that as a job? Well, they do it because they can and because it's like their public service. And you must read it because you'll realise, God, what beautiful people they are. And the families of the victims uh, participated in the book as well. So there's some beautiful, beautiful people in the book. And, uh, and there's also some books on Buddhism as well, if you're interested. Buddhism for breakups seems to be the one that everyone likes the most. So you don't even have to be breaking up to read that one. <laughs> it's just um, about accepting. Preventative. <laughs> yeah, accepting that we all change. You know, when you go, you're not the person I married, it's about going, oh, that's right, you're not meant to be. We're all meant to change. It's okay. <laughs> Amazing. I haven't read that one, but as a divorcee, I feel like I should put that on my book list. (laughs) Perfect. It'll make you stop hating your ex. (laughs) Excellent. Well, Michelle, it has been an absolute joy talking to you. Um, I will link to all those things in the show notes. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Bye. Hey there, that is it for today's show. Now, if you are not following or subscribing to How I Work, you might want to hit follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this from because next week I'm so excited to share my interview with Oliver Berkman, who is a writer and columnist for The Guardian, and he thinks a lot about time and time management, and we get into a completely different way to think about time and how you manage it in next week's show. How I Work is produced by Inventium with production support from Deadset Studios. The producer for this episode was Jenna Coda. And thank you to Martin Nimba, who did the audio mix and makes everything sound better than it would have otherwise. See you next time. <laughs>